You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. I would like to teach this morning not what I taught in the first service, but if you will turn your, your Bibles to the book of John, I'd be glad to teach you from the Word of God. <clears throat> John chapter 4, and John was an interesting disciple. He was the only one that was not a martyr. All the other disciples were killed, but not John. John was only 18 years old when he met Jesus. He was the youngest of the disciples, came from Bethsaida, and of course he ended up in Capernaum, or Capernaum as you call it, where he was with the other disciples. But him and his brother came, they were called the sons of thunder because they were very judgmental, quick to want to bring down thunder from heaven. But, Jay, but this particular John seemed to really gravitate and believe what Jesus said. He had no inhibitions to take the the position of importance next to the Lord always. And uh, he lived to, in, into his 90s. He died on the Isle of Patmos of normal old, old age. Wrote the book of Revelation on, on Patmos, but he wrote the book of John in his early 80s with the help of his disciples from Turkey, in, uh, supposedly according to the theologians in the city of Ephesus, a very important place for the church. I haven't got time to teach you on that. But he wrote... John did, and so he talks about John in chapter 4, where Jesus has left Jerusalem and was headed back to Galilee and, and took the different routes you can go, and the one he took was straight through Samaria, and he ended up right in the middle in a town called Sychar, which is where Jacob had sunk a well for the he had intermarried with an Assyrian, and the race of Sumerians came as a result of that, and they followed, they took, claimed Jacob as their father, which he was, and leader, and thought felt themselves as Jews. The Jews hated Sumerians, and the Assyrians didn't like them either, so they were kind of a mixed breed, not very much happy or liked by little people, but they followed the Jewish faith. And this, uh, this particular day, Jesus was sitting at the, at the well, and in the middle of the day, noon, it was hot as can be, and one woman came along with a, with a pitcher while the disciples were getting food inside the city, and uh, she came with a pitcher to the well, which tells me she was avoiding the morning and evening pickup because she didn't want to be around people, and Jesus asked her for water, and a whole lot of discussion starts because she spits out all her anger and hurt because she's had five husbands and living with a man, and she's tired of men and tired of Jews that don't treat the Samaritans right, and she's spitting out in this total stranger called Jesus all her anger and disappointment. Hurting people always hurt other people or try to without meaning to, and then this is what happened to Jesus, the same thing. He responded to her not knowing full well what kind of woman she was in her life. He responded to her kindly and gently as he always does and he said to her that if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you you would have asked him and he would have given you living water and the discussion begins about this living water she doesn't understand any man caring about her without really wanting her she must have been stunningly beautiful to be married five times and she was so used to men always flirting with her so she thought he was just doing the same thing again until eventually she said okay give me some of this living water you keep talking about and that I wanted to keep coming to the well she doesn't understand he's talking spiritual language until he says to her, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And finally he says, you speak the truth. You've had five and the one you're living with is not even your husband. And so she's so stunned by his spiritual revelation, she kicked over from her carnality into the spiritual side she did have. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. That was pretty full of perception. Yeah, very smart of you. And she said, uh, we were told to worship God here but you Jews say we ought to worship God in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds, words I know you've heard, where he said, woman, a time is coming, you'll neither worship God here, 
nor uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, you'll worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's, just, that's, the ver- that's where I'm going to pick up the story this morning in John 4, verse 21. It says, Jesus declared, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, this is what I want to bring to you today. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. Now, I've read that a hundred times in my life, but not long ago, it stunned me. How could they not know God? If that's all they've heard and been taught by the word that they have, they read the same Bible as the Jews, they go to the same type church as the Jews, they do the same songs. How could they not know God? And I began to pound heaven until God would give me an answer and understanding and revelation of what this really means. And I found out some interesting things about the nation of Israel that nothing has been easy for that nation. Everything was suffering. Here we are again in a war that is pretty violent. I was watching this morning and reading up that 90% of the nations are for a peace treaty. They want them to stop warring. And the concern is not only concerned for the 100 innocent prisoners they have. They don't care about that. And Israel will not stop until they've retrieved all their people which is only right. How would you feel if you were taken and they just said, okay, we'll just let it go and and you're a victim? So it doesn't say much for your nation. You got very quiet in this place. But here's what I want you to know is that you're a joint heir. You're not joint heir with Islam. Not a joint heir with Hare Krishna. When When you got born again, you are a Jew because you are chosen. That's what the word Jew means, chosen. They're not the special race because of genetics. They're because of God's people. They suffered. God needed a people to bring the Savior through. And to have that, he needed a people that would be completely recognized as his people. And I realized when Jesus said, for salvation from the Jews, he wasn't referring to himself because he hadn't died yet. So we, he said, we Jews worship what we do know. Well, they already, if the Jews already know what to worship because salvation is from the Lord, then it's not referring to Jesus. It's referring to something else. And it's quite simply the fact that Israel has always suffered and learned to know God through deliverance. All their songs are about the salvations and the powerful deliverance of God, whether it be parting a Red Sea or driving out the enemy or healing of disease or breaking the drought. Whatever God would do, they learned to know God through suffering. Understand that when I ask a person if they're born again, they will tell me yes, and I'll ask them, how do you know that you really are born again or that even God's real? And they will begin to quote me a lot of spiritual jargon and and scriptures. They'll spit it all out because they rehearsed. But after, if I keep asking them the question over and over, they'll eventually all get to the same answer. They all end up saying, well, I know God. Uh, I just know God. Well, how? They talk about experiential reality. They've experienced him. Well, how have you experienced him? And they start telling me always, always every one of them about something they've been through of unpleasant, hard nature that God, only God and the recognizable hand of God delivering them. That to them it was so real that 
nobody, it wasn't just a coincidence, nobody could have done that by himself. It had to be the hand of God. And maybe not even once, but repeatedly. So it seems that through hardship that people actually recognize God. And the nation of Israel has gone through so many of those hardships. And yet they are diligent in worshiping God because they know who he is. Men trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of our God, David writes, because they've experienced God over and over. No matter what they faced, God was also always their strong deliverer. But nobody wants unpleasantness. We want, we want easy life, but the, it's through those things. The same as your marriage partner. You fall in love and you think you know the person you're married to, but it's life's hardships and difficulties and bumps in the road and disappointments that actually teach you and let you know who you are married to, who that you have a relationship with. You begin to find out what they're really like under pressure. Are you hearing me? Now, I want you to know that Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. And we have different kinds of salts that are differently refined, whether they're rough or fine. And there's different salt resources. There are different Himalayans, pink salt. You have salt from the ocean that they refine. They have salt in different pans. We, have, we need salt. Salt is the cheapest commodity that you could ever find in any store. Yet without salt, we can barely survive or we will die. Our bodies will need salt. Too much salt's bad for you, but no salt at all will kill you too. And so salt's very necessary. And you try and eat food without salt. You need that salt. And we are the salt. That's what Jesus said. We are the, we are the salt. The world needs us, not Islam, not Hare Krishna. They need us. We are the salt of the earth. And Jesus said if we lose our saltiness, wow, we could lose it, then we are not good to, for anything. In fact, the one, there's several scriptures with the one Mark, the one I'm reading now from Mark chapter 9. If the smart person puts it up on the screen, it's 9 verse 49 and 50. Jesus says in verse 50, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now, verse 49 says, also a stunning verse, everyone will be salted by or with fire. Amen. There are no exceptions. So to get salty again, you need fire. Hardship. You say amen, but I don't know if we like to have the fire. No one likes the fire so if you need to be effective or you've lost your saltiness, if God wants to make you salty, he's going to allow you to go through fire. No one likes that, but he wants to make you salty. Some of that are people that are very salty, that have got a lot of compassion and love for people and God's kingdom have had a lot of saltiness. Your own pastor has fought many battles, health battles and fights, one fight after another, and it's made him salty. Your pastor is salty. And the way to become salty is through fire. And that's what he was saying to the, to the Samaritans. You worship what you do not know. And when you've been through a crisis, you, many of you here, when you hear that God's, and you sing that song, Lord, all my life you've been faithful. Then I see tears streaming down people's faces because they, they suddenly realize truly, boy, you've helped me because only you could have done that. Nobody else. And that's what causes us to know him and to worship him because we know who we worship. 
We know who, when you meet someone that doesn't know the Lord, you're telling them from who and what, where you've walked. You're quoting them a bunch of scripture and ramming it down their throats. It just sounds like church and religion. But really, what people are looking for, when you relate to your life, what God has done. And what God has helped. And I hope that you don't dismiss things that God has done. I hope you don't, out of frustration, because he hasn't done everything you wanted him to. You know, God in his kindness doesn't do everything you want. I mean, I wouldn't give my, my four-year-old grandson a, a, a rifle. Even though he loves guns or swords, I wouldn't give him a weapon. Not until he can manage it well. I would be, be foolishness. The same as giving a young kid a car. I want to drive, I want to drive. And then they smash it. Well, what's the point? You, 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 when you're kind to your family, you don't always give them what they want. You do the best you can. You'd like to, but it's not the right thing for them. And so God doesn't do a lot of things you want because it's not what is right for you. But if you trust him and you're abandoned to him, you trust him that he knows what's right and you become at peaceful and full of joy and contentment because you know. You know, Paul said, I have, I have found the secret. It's a secret. No one knows. It's a secret to contentment. I found the secret to contentment. I've learned to be to have a lot, to have nothing, because my contentment was not in how my conditions of life were. My contentment wasn't in how much money I had. My contentment wasn't in how things were at home and happy or my health. My contentment was only in him that never changes. And I pursued him and searched for him because he is faithful. Can you say amen to that? Amen, amen to that. Amen, amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you. Gosh, took you a while to get that one. <laughs> so we have to be faithful in every way. God is so faithful. And he, we know him through the hardships. So before you whine and complain, thank God that he's your strength. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have many troubles. He warned you already. You're going to have troubles. But I don't want you to be afraid. He said, I overcame the world. So there's victory. He promised you not a pain-free life. He pro promised you a healed one. He didn't promise you a trouble-free life. He promised you a victorious one. You won't take either of those fruits until you're willing to go through it. I mean, even the Lord in your life's journey will help direct you through it, not around it. Uh, let's go to the other side. That means we have to go through a storm. Yeah, we're going through a storm, and I'm taking a nap. But we're going to the other side. If God would tell you about all the storms in your life, if God would tell you about the COVIDs and the, and the challenges and the difficulties, you would take all your faith and strength and energy preparing for the storm. You'd get that boat ready. You would make sure it's all plugged every hole and tied up and get all the load off the ship. You put all your faith into that rather than getting the other side. You'd put all your faith in weathering a storm than rather than I'm going to the other side. And God wants us to go in our hearts and minds focused on what he said and not on the storm. Because your faith will make the storm bigger than it is. Yeah, you'll have word about it. God loves you so much. He loves you more than any angel. He, lo he loves you more than any planet. He loves you more than any car, any house, any, any money. He loves you so much. He loves you more than all your troubles and all your whining complaints. It doesn't faze him. He's a good God. 